Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And today I have a special treat for you. Are you wondering about the purpose of your life and the human journey? Listen to these words. Our constant challenge is to accept how life wears away what doesn't matter until the miracle of life is revealed in everything. Once living this barely in open, in the open, our work is to let the light of spirit come through, never thinking that we own it, but letting it use us to brighten and warm the hearts of others. This is the purpose of the human journey, to live openly and honestly until we become a source of uncovered light. Then life pours forth to renew us and all we meet. I love that, don't you? Our guest today reminds us to inhabit an authentic and wholehearted life, and I can't wait to bring you this conversation. But first, I invite you to take a few deep breaths. Open your mind and heart and settle into your essential wholeness. As our introduce our guest, Mark Nepo is a poet and philosopher who has taught in the fields of poetry and spirituality for over 40 years. A number one New York Times bestselling author, he has published 22 books and recorded 14 audio projects. His work has been translated into over 20 languages. Mark has been interviewed several times by Oprah Winfrey on the Super Soul Sunday and was interviewed by Robin Roberts for Good Morning America. He's a Nautilus Book Award winner and a regular columnist for Spirituality and Health magazine. This is an interesting piece that I think you'll see how this informs his work today, and I'm going to ask him about it. But in his 30s, Mark was diagnosed with a rare form of lymphoma, a struggle which helped him form his philosophy of experiencing life fully while staying in relationship to an unknown future. Mark devotes his writing and teaching to the journey of inner transformation and the life of relationship, and he does it so well. Welcome back to the show, Mark. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be with you again. Thank you. I um, have to say, I love your written words. They're so poetic. They just literally tap my soul and wake me and reverberate through every cell of my being. And I love your voice, the spoken voice. It's just a beautiful lullaby. So it's always a treat for me when you're here. Well, thank you. That's so kind of you. You're welcome. And Mark, I want to put a twist on my traditional first question. You've been here before. And um, I've asked this question before, so you've answered it. But um, I'm going to do the twist by reading a passage from your book. And after that, I would love for you to expand on your thoughts. So my traditional first question is, what does all things connected, the theme of our show, mean to you? And you beautifully answer it in this text. So I'm going to read this text, 
And then I want you to respond to all things connected from your perspective of what you wrote here. Sure. Okay. The human tribe at its best is resilient and at its worst, relentlessly stubborn. We spent centuries trying to keep things apart when everything in life wants to come together. We've worked hard to separate light from dark when together they form the threshold of depth. We've tried desperately to separate beauty from suffering when it's beauty that softens our suffering. We've willfully insisted on separating good from bad when the heart burns both in the fire of compassion. And in our terror, we're frenetic to separate life from death when each soul on earth is a conduit between them. Every part of life is an intersection and emblem of all life as seeds carries a fully grown tree and a spark ignites the life of fire. We each carry the shimmer of all that is. Mark, to me, that just speaks so beautifully to all things connected, but I'd love for you to expand on that. It's such a beautiful prose. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Well, I, I do believe, and 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 these are, you know, I mean, we're all guessing, you know, <laughs> no one knows for sure. But you know, my whole life, I have felt um, this deep connection with all things. And when I went through my cancer journey and almost died in my thirties, um, you know, uh, that was a great embodied lesson you know i was turned inside out and upside down and um and i came out the other side being a student of all paths because you know i i was raised jewish i have a deep tie to the jewish heritage but i i don't practice any one path because on the other side of almost dying i was blessed to have people from all faiths and traditions, and I and I widen that to not just the formal traditions, um, but people from all walks of life were kind enough to offer me some kind of blessing and help. So to wake up still here, I was not, and all these years later, I'm still not wise enough to know what worked and what didn't. And I feel that I was challenged to become a student of all paths. And ever since then, all my books, all my teaching, everything is rooted in this belief, in my belief, in the common ineffable center of all paths, the unique gifts of each, and um, and the, the heartfelt path to inhabiting <clears throat> and feeling uh, senses of oneness. <clears throat> so, you know, I I think that whenever I have been able, and I don't think anybody can be it all the time, but when I've been able to be wholehearted <clears throat> and caring and honest and authentic and loving, the reward, in addition to our relationships being stronger <clears throat> and more intimate, the reward is an experience of oneness. So it's not by accident that the word kind and the word kinship have the same root. So one of the rewards, one of the admission tickets to experience oneness and kinship 
is to be kind. Mm. <clears throat> I love that. Um, I've never put those together. Thank you for the kinship and the kind. That's, that's a beautiful pathway in and of itself. And your story of, of the illness and your recovery and then really devoting your, your work to this path is really quite profound. Um, so thank you. I, I love that the reward is an experience of oneship. So let's let's deepen into that. Your so, your your subtitle of the book, um, the book of soul. I have it in front of me, but the subtitle is fifty two paths to living what matters. And I would love to just hear you speak to living what matters, where that comes from, what that means to you. Yeah, and and so. Let's talk about both the 52 paths, because the paths aren't offered as 1 through 52 do these things. They're offered as seeds, the way you would scatter seeds in a field, because I offered 52 because I don't know which one will touch you. Mm. And so one may touch you and one may touch another. So I'm just offering as many as possible. So they're more like being scattered and shared than any kind of curriculum. Oh, do one and then do two and then do three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So, and <clears throat> there's 52 um, because, as you know from my other books, I really invite readers to take their time with reading my work. Um, and so I invite people to read some and then live some and then read some and live some. So, you know, the, <clears throat> the 52 is an invitation to have Folks read a chapter a week, live a week, then be in con- be in conversation with life, and then come back and and uh, be in conversation with the book and with me. And so, when we talk about living what matters, I think that there is a <clears throat> irreducible um, preciousness to life that we are only aware of through our direct experience of life. And these are the constellation of moments that we we just feel are so certain, we just don't doubt them. You know, everyone has a different way to them. You might experience it by the water in nature. You might experience by listening to certain music. You might experience it in silence or with certain people or doing a certain activity like gardening, who knows? Because there are just as many ways to feel what matters. But once we once we experience it, then it's incumbent on us to start to pay attention to how we discover that so that it becomes part of our toolbox when we're not connected, when we're confused, when we're afraid, when we're in pain. Can we then turn to the known ways in which we touch into what matters so it can help restore us? And and that's one of the paradoxes of life is that it is the wholeness of life, the interconnectedness of life that is restorative. And from the beginning of time, it's understandable. Human beings have always wanted to say, well, you can you can keep the difficult stuff, thank you very much. I just want the nice things and the beautiful things and the peaceful things. But that's not, that's not how life works. At least that's not how I've experienced it. You know, you can take water. 
as a as a metaphor here. Water we all learn like in junior high, and it's made out of hydrogen and oxygen. It's H two O. But I can't say to you, oh, I'll only have a glass of the hydrogen, please. Because even if you could separate it, it would no longer be water and it would no longer be sustaining or quenching. And it's the same with the wholeness and the interconnectedness of this mysterious mystery of life. We need to hold each other up through the difficulties so we can get the restorative of all of life. And I, I think, and then I'll pause here, that, that life has been made just difficult enough so that we need each other to ensure the journey of love. Mm. Love, the journey of love. I, I'm just going to expand on this um, while we're here, Mark, because I think it's, it's profound how you're talking about the wholeness and the interconnectedness as restorative. And you had just mentioned the common ineffable center of all paths. And you literally, so in my introduction, I brought in your statement about the uncovered light to live openly and honestly until we become a source of uncovered light. And I I think that this path is precisely what you're inviting us into here when you're talking about that restorative part is, is this love, this light. What is your definition of this uncovered light? I love how you phrase it. Well, so so in a very felt way, I, let's back up a second, and then I'll get to, to that. Let's back up to enter this. Um, I think that what our souls want above all else is for us to be as alive as possible. Mm. And how we do that, um, I don't know that the soul or spirit cares. I think that's our job, and that's how we have to discover what matters to each of us, what brings each of us alive, because we're such remarkably multifaceted beings as human beings that, you know, uh, there was a female mystic from the uh, from Germany in the Middle Ages. Um, her name was Mechthild, and she had this beautiful saying. She said that a bird doesn't fall from the sky, a fish doesn't drown in water. Each creature must find their own God-given element. So. For a fish and a bird, it's pretty simple. <laughs> they know when they're in the sky and they know when they're in the water. But for human beings, the first call for each of us once we're alive and awake is, what is my God-given element? What, what Under what conditions am I most alive? And so, and I'm getting to what living what matters. And so I think that the soul... You know, the same way that you a fire wants you to feed it wood to burn. And the fire doesn't really care if it's elm or pine or cherry. And the soul wants us to feed it care. That's how the soul burns bright. And I don't think that spirit, it matters to spirit what you care about. There are infinite things to care about. When you can find the care that brings you most alive, then give your all to it. And so, you know, living what matters are, are the moments when our gifts 
Now here's one more metaphor, and that's of a wooden match. So we all know that in that tip, the phosphorus tip of that match, the light and heat of that match are, are dormant until the match strikes against a surface. Well, our gifts, the light and love and warmth of our gifts, of what we carry that matters, they don't show themselves until our gifts strike against the needs of the world. And so it takes this, you know, I think part of every person's practice is one, to discover who we are, what brings us alive, and then to discover how we can make good use of our gifts and our heart. You know, we, we, open, we learn to open our eyes in order to see, and we learn to open our heart in order to love. If you don't look once your eyes are open, what's the point of opening your eyes? And if you don't love once your heart is open, then what's the point of opening your heart? Mark, I just want to pause for a moment and remind our friends who are listening that what they just heard is an example of one of these 52 paths. It's like your writing brings us into these thoughts, into storytelling, into poetry and, and prose here. And we just get to delight in that. It's like deepening in and like you mentioned, do one a week and, and carry us forward and think and engage with it and, and meditate and journal with it. It's so beautiful. So that was another really great example. There's another one. Um, I, I'm going to bring this up and I, I'd love to hear you expand on this one too, because um, you you talked about our walk in the world and that literally, you know, life can wear us down or lift us up. There's a lot going on. And you wrote these words. I love this, that, you know, you encourage us to remember that we're a part of something larger. And you said, depending on how thoroughly we can bathe trouble in the well of our soul. And I, I love that image again. It's like, again, medicine for us that we can we can tear each other down, we can allow ourselves to be worn down, or we can lift each other up and be lifted up. And then here's this poetic medicine again, to bathe trouble in the well of our soul. Expand on that. Yeah, so th this also speaks to that restorative of the whole. Yeah. And, and uh, let me share a story that's an ancient teaching story and then a very personal story of my own learning of this. And, and, and so this is an ancient Hindu uh, story that is anonymous, centuries old, and it talks about how we can uh, meet fear and pain. So there's a master and an apprentice. There's always a master and an apprentice. And the master, um, the truth be known, he finds the apprentice very annoying because he's always complaining about life, complain, complain. And so the master says to the apprentice, I want you to get a handful of salt, put it in a glass of water and bring it to me quietly. So the apprentice does this and the master says, well, drink from the glass. And the apprentice does, and then he spits it out. The master says, what's the matter? The apprentice says, oh, it's bitter. The master says, I want you to get the same exact handful of salt and follow me quietly. 
So the apprentice scoops the same exact amount of salt. He has it cupped in his hands and he follows the master who leads him to the edge of a lake. And then he says to the apprentice, put the salt in the lake, which he does. And the master says, now drink. So the apprentice kneels down, he scoops up water, drinks it. It's dribbling down his chin. And the master says, well, and the apprentice says, oh, it's fresh. And the master looks at the apprentice. He says, stop being a glass, become a lake. Stop being a glass, become a lake. Now, that's an ancient, I love these ancient, anonymous teaching stories. And, and the, the power of this story is what it tells us, is that everybody gets their handful of salt. That's the pain and fear of life. That's the difficulties, you know. And, and some of us get it all at once, and some of us get it a grain at a time or clumps at a time. But nobody gets, goes through life without that handful of salt. And once we are confronted with pain and fear, the only thing we can do, we can never eliminate it, but we can right-size it by enlarging our sense of things. And that's the bathing, the troubles in the lake of the soul, in the lake of the interconnected oneness of life, in the restorative that is all of life. We can right-size because the enormity of the mystery of life dilutes the stringency of pain and fear. And so, you know, you can listen to that story and say, well, uh, it's not good to be a glass. I won't do that. Well, yes, we will because we're human. And that's how pain and fear say hello. They make us constrict. So the question is not to eliminate it. The question is the work of self-awareness is to recognize when you become a glass and turn to your toolbox and say, okay, what are the what are the practices for me personally by which I can enlarge my sense of things and therefore right-size the pain and fear so that I can go on? Mm. Oh, oh, and then the, the personal story, um, which is very, very profound for me and, and you know, uh, touched me, uh, changed me completely. And, and that was in my cancer journey. And you know, two weeks after I had a rib removed from my back, I had my first chemo treatment, which was botched. And so I was in New York City um, with loved ones in a Holiday Inn, uh, getting violently sick every half hour. And um, eventually we had to go to the emergency room. And um, But as dawn was coming up, and I was afraid and I was in pain and I didn't know what would happen next. And I think because I was exhausted, as, as dawn was starting to briefly show, I had this irrepressible sense, you know, somewhere, in spite of what I'm going through, nearby a baby's being born. And somewhere nearby a couple are making love for the first time. And somewhere uh, an adult parent and an adult child are are repairing and speaking for the first time in years. And so for the first time, I felt in my bones that to be broken is no reason to see all things as broken. And I discovered that while I'm afraid and while I need the company of those who know what it is to be afraid, I need everything safe to heal. 
And while I'm broken, I need the company of those who know what it's like to be broken, but I need everything whole to heal. And we take turns being broken and whole and being afraid and safe. And this is how, how we need to be there for each other. I really appreciate the, um, the way you bring this human journey in and, and welcome, you know, the broken and the whole and the afraid and the safe that this is life. This is the human journey. And we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, there's so much more of this wisdom and this, just this yummy idea of bringing our soul fully embodied, fully incarnate on this earth to do this humaning journey that we're on. So we will be right back after a short break. Meditation Channel, nonstop meditation music 24 hours a day in the new Empower Radio app. Music to empower your meditation, help you relax, sleep, or provide a calm background while you work. The Empower Meditation Channel is interruption free. Listen now with the Empower Radio app, free in the App Store, or listen online at empower.fm. Soothe your soul, calm your mind. The Empower Meditation Channel. Hey everybody, this is Josh Groban. After so many years on the stage, one of my favorite things about music is its ability to inspire and nourish the soul. That's why I'm proud to work with Feeding America, an organization that inspires hope for families in need and helps nourish the 16 million kids in this country struggling with hunger. Every year, billions of pounds of excess food go to waste, while one in five children may be left not knowing where their next meal is coming from, or if it's even coming at all. Thankfully, the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks collects surplus food and helps deliver it to kids in need across the country. But they can't do it alone. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Just now, another kid dropped out of school. There's one every 20 seconds, over 200 kids an hour. That adds up to nearly 5,000 kids every school day. If we do nothing, 3.5 million kids won't receive a diploma over the next four years. But there is someone who can change that. And that someone is you. United Way knows that kids who have a caring adult in their life are more likely to make it. So make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because the path to success or failure starts long before graduation day. And the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. Take the pledge to volunteer now at unitedway.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. 
volunteer at United Way. I'm asking people around the neighborhood what they think this place needs. Wi-Fi everywhere. More playgrounds. Oh, more ice cream trucks. I was thinking more money in the pockets of local families come tax time. Can I change my answer? I was just kidding about the ice cream. When it comes to getting better tax refunds into the hands of local families, what this place needs is you. To donate or volunteer, go to unitedway.org. Because great things happen when we live united. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back, and thank you for listening today. Hey, if this conversation is touching you in any way, if there's some idea or part of the conversation that you feel will make a difference in somebody's life, please take a few minutes and share it with others. My greatest hope is to introduce guests and ideas that impact how we experience the world, creating and inspiring greater wholeness and connections that lift us all for the good of the whole. I invite you to be a part of this continuing conversation and to participate in that level of involvement, to engage with others in our wholeness and connection. You can go to juliecrawlemail.com to sign up for my whole connection newsletter and learn more about these ongoing opportunities. Again, that's juliecrawlemail.com. And if you want to find Mark Nepo, simply go to marknepo.com. Mark has a webinar coming up in a few months. Looks amazing. I'm really tempted to sign up today. You can do that by going to marknepo.com and learning more about all of Mark's offerings, books, beautiful presence on the planet. So, Mark, we're back. And I thought of something that I wanted to to begin the second half with because we're living in precarious times and we are enduring not only personal challenges and transformation, but whole systems change in the world with every sector of life. Joanna Macy calls this the great turning. How can we use these challenges, as you suggest, to both survive and thrive? Well, thank you. And of course, you know, it's very important to apply all the things we're talking about to the age we live in. That's our turn. And I don't have answers, but I can speak to it. And I think that, you know, first let me back up for a second and and, and just say one or two things about the time that we're in so that we can talk about where we can where we can act and be. Um, and so I think and this, this also, you know, speaks to um, uh, from my cancer journey, you know, I was struck when the pandemic started that I, I had a lot come up from back then. And I think it's because humanity is going through a similar process. And what I mean by that is, I remember all these years ago, when I was first diagnosed, I walked in one day uh, to a doctor's office, and was told I had a rare form of cancer. And I was frightened and just disoriented and thought they must have had the wrong folder. It couldn't be me. And um, But then when I went left that meeting, that appointment, the door I had come through to keep that appointment, the door back to my life was gone. There was no way back to life before that appointment. And I think that's what hap- has happened to humanity from the moment the pandemic hit the entire world. The old world is gone. It's gone. 
There is no going back. We are in the process of being asked to remake humanity. And, and, you know, so that loss, that shock, of course, engenders grief. So here for a moment, I reflected on, you know, if you recall, if you remember Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, the great modern mother of hospice, uh, or the mother of modern hospice, hospice has been around forever without that name. Um, but, you know, she had discovered or, or named a constellation of passages, they're not sequential, of grief that people move through or bounce around in or get stuck in and they are denial anger bartering depression and acceptance and i think that we can see that we have whole parts of our society in america and around the world that are stuck in denial even to this day after a year it's a hoax it doesn't exist it's not real meanwhile half a million people have died what do you mean it's not real and i think in grief people are stuck and i think there's a whole group of humanity that are stuck in anger you know this out of proportion reaction no i'm not going to wear a mask what are we protesting biology gravity you know and so it's so and there and then we get depressed but eventually Great love and great suffering lead us to acceptance. Lead us to acceptance. And only once we accept that the old world is gone can we start to say, okay, where do we go from here? And when thing I've one of the things I've been reflecting on is when we when things break down, when we go through great changes, great turnings, as as you quoted, um, three perennial questions both personally and societally, beg to be asked. And they are, what needs to be repaired? What needs to be reimagined? And what, now that it's broken, needs to stay dismantled? What should never be put back together, like at a societal level, structural racism? So, you know, I invite everyone who's listening, because everyone has been affected by this pandemic, everyone's world has stopped, to take some time and journal and be in conversation. Ask yourself in your life at this moment, after a year of being in this pandemic, what in your life needs to be repaired? What in your life needs to be reimagined? And what in your life, now that it's broken, needs to stay dismantled? And, and what are the first steps you can take moving through there? And I, I think the other thing that's so important at this time, and, you know, every generation has had its version, not necessarily a pandemic, but every generation has had its turn at, at whether we're going to show up or not for each other and for life and and with kindness and care and so you know i i in an earlier book of mine on community worldwide community more together than alone i i stumbled on and discovered that you know back in the middle ages in europe it was a ter- you know we know it as the dark ages now interestingly in the rest of the world, it was a pretty enlightened time. But in Europe, it was the Dark Ages. And for 300 years or more, 
only 10% of the European population was literate. That means mm. 10% of the population kept literacy alive for 300 years. And so in the midst of our struggles today, it is incumbent on us to keep the literacy of the heart alive. To keep the literacy of the heart alive. How do we do that? Well, the very first simple thing is, here is a, a metaphor from biology. You know, in your body or my body, a body is considered healthy as long as it has one more healthy cell than toxic. Now, we'd like a lot more, but as long as we have one more healthy cell, we're on the road to health. Well, if you look at humanity as a global body, every soul is a cell in that body. And when we can be authentic and kind and whole and real and giving, we help humanity. We help the global body stay healthy. I think this is a really important piece, and I, I just want to pause and stay here for a minute as we're talking about the collective whole, that literally we are all response-able to step into our health to be healthy and whole here. And I like to think, you know, I, I, I asked you um, about the challenges and how to survive and thrive, and you write in this book, The Book of Soul, about birthing the second birth is birthing our soul it's like the incarnation the whole, the 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 in the i'm just thinking of lots of words that i want to say but that integrity process of fully birthing the soul and perhaps these challenges now i'm going to i'm going to drop this in mark this is my opinion i would like to think that we are also birthing our collective soul right here, right now on the planet. And you don't write about this, but I'd love to hear your response. Are we in the process of birthing our collective soul as that well, one planetary body? Yeah, I, I, I think we are. And I think every generation gets the opportunity to do that. And every generation does it differently. And so it's our turn it's our turn. So let me share a, a parable that, that speaks to this choice, this daily choice every day. So there are two, two monks. They've studied long and hard. And because one day they are going, to, after studying, they're going to climb a mountain and have keep an appointment with Buddha at the top of the mountain. And so finally, after years of study, they're off. They're climbing the mountain. And halfway up, one of them falls and breaks his leg. So they spend the night and the other one cares for him. And then in the morning, as he's getting the healthy one is getting ready to continue to keep his appointment with Buddha. It's clear that his other is not doing very well. He's got a fever and it's obvious that he can't be left there. And then the parable stops there. And the question is turned and said, what would you do? What would you do? And and so when we have a generation in which more people will keep their appointment at the top of the mountain than care for their broken other, we have a generation that will not birth that collective soul, but will engender cruelty. And when we have a generation who will discover that caring for their broken other is the summit, 
we have a generation that will engender compassion and will begin to birth that collective soul. And it doesn't matter what you put on top of that mountain. You can put God, you can put security, you can put wealth, you can put family, ambition, you name it. It doesn't matter when you insist on keeping that appointment on top of that mountain, rather than caring for those you meet along the way, you are engendering the very beginning seeds of cruelty. And, and, you know, this speaks in my life. One of the humbling lessons I've learned in my, you know, just last month I turned 70 and which seems impossible. I, when I met people my age, when I was younger, I thought they were ancient. (laughs) Uh, It doesn't seem so old now. Um, But one of the things I've learned is that there's nothing wrong with working for what you want or having appointments at the top of the mountain or goals or dreams. But I've learned more often than not, working for what I want has been an apprenticeship for working with what I'm given. And that's where my gifts have shown up. And while we can give our all to work to have our dreams come true, very often our dreams don't come true. But by giving our all to them, sometimes we come true, and that's more important. Ooh. A couple really nice twists there. There's, there's some profound pieces there. Thank you. There's there's also this idea with the, the compassion versus the cruelty and the opportunity that lies before us. I love how, how we deal with what's emerging, what's what's coming at us is that apprenticeship. You encourage us to allow compassion to guide us. What does that mean? How do we allow compassion to guide us? Well, it means simply uh, by following our heart. I believe our heart is our greatest teacher. And the word trust literally means follow your heart. And this, by following our heart, we not only are, this ties together what we've been talking about. It not only leads you to what matters, it not only leads you to your God-given element, it also allows you to reveal your gifts and make good use of them. So we are always asked to follow our heart. And so our compassion leads us. And, and you know, very often there are two, um, I write about that there, there are two kind of levels of compassion and they're both ongoing. The, the one is that we are led to our hearts open at first by what we have in common with others. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a wonderful ongoing apprenticeship of compassion. That is that, you know, if I, I've experienced a broken heart and I meet you and then you have a broken heart and, and a relationship has ended, well, we have something in common. So my heart automatically opens to you. And that's an, we always have to have that, that way of working with compassion. But I've learned through the years, that that opens us up to a maturing of compassion, whereby we open our heart to those we have nothing in common with. And I remember that the experience by which I first literally didn't just think of it, but experienced it. And it was, it was, you know, maybe within 10 years after the Vietnam War, and 
I was in a restaurant bar and um, and there was clearly a guy sitting in a corner booth by himself talking way too loud. And it was clear he was a vet. And I was getting some drinks for my the people I was with. And and as I went by, I, I just wound up kind of talking to him and wound up sitting there. And sure enough, it turned out he was in great pain and and he was a medic in Vietnam. And, you know, and I had I have not been in the military or been in anything like that. And I remember I said I, I, I looked across and with with, you know, my heart in my throat, I truly said, you know, I can't imagine what you went through. And he pounded his fist on the table and said, no, you can't. And I took his fist and I said, but I'm here. And he started to cry and started to tell me stories. And that was the first time that I felt like all of my apprenticeship at Compassion opened me to something I had no way to relate to other than that my heart went out to him. And so I think these two ways that we are asked to follow our heart. And then in more simple ways, you know, I remember in my 40s or earlier, I remember being in a grocery line and it was taking inevitably long for an older woman who obviously had back problems to shuffle her way away from the register. And I remember being young and, and feeling compassion for her, but then getting impatient you know, inside and, and saying, okay, okay, how long is this going to take? And then, you know, years later, 10 years later or whatever, playing sports, doing something, you know, I tweaked my back. Well, now all of a sudden, you know, for like 10 days, I, you know, I couldn't make it from the bed to the bathroom. All of a sudden I had a way to understand what that woman was going through. But ever since then, and this is the way experience opens the heart if I'm behind someone who's having trouble, I I don't just watch them and feel for them. I go and carry their groceries for them. Mm. But it took me a long time to make that leap, even though it's obvious. And that's where, you know, heart is our teacher. Yeah. I love that the heart is the teacher, so we're just following that heart, that compassion. And, and we also know that takes tons of courage as well. And, you know, the heart is all about that courage. So I'm going to just kind of throw out um, two more direct questions at you, Mark, because the journey in the book, the 52-week journey, I encourage all of you to pick up the Book of Soul 52 paths to living what matters in this journey you um you say it's replete with beautiful truths and startling insights and i'm going to invite you personally to share what are some of those beautiful truths and startling insights that you've discovered in writing this book and on this path well the one thing in in this book in, in a lot of ways, because every book, you know, not not one of my books is turns out to be the book I started. That's another example of following your heart. Um, I have ideas, I have visions, I have ways in, but once it becomes alive, then I have to listen to it. And so this book wound up being where there was a constellation 
of insights and teachers along the way through my other books that I was synthesizing and integrating in this book. But I think one of the, the kind of startling and, 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 you know, it's, it's startling, you know, anything that we don't know, on the other side, it's obvious once we know it, but before we know it, it's not. And so we look back and we go, how did I not know that? Well, because we didn't know it. <laughs> and um, so one of the obvious things, and it's the last chapter of the book is called The Temple is the World. And it's that notion that, you know, we all, all the traditions, we all have formal and informal, holy, holy places where we incubate our spirit, where we grow, where we, whether it's a private study or a special place in nature or a church or a temple or a sangha. But the goal of every one of those places is for its walls to come down so that the temple is the world. Uh. It's the sacred places everywhere it's like it's like how a chick is born in a shell the purpose is for the shell to break open so the chick can live you know the i'm always returned to the startling beauty that the wholeness of life god whatever name you want to give to it is everywhere we don't have to go anywhere it's always exactly where we are and so the other kind of startling insight after all these years is which again is reinforced by all the traditions they just speak about it differently and that is that while we spend a lot of time in the outer world going from here to there the real journey is not going from here to there it's going from in to out it's going from in to out you know if you look at flowers just think of this for a minute, the powerful teaching of a flower. So a flower starts as a seed underground. In the seed is the totality of the flower before it even breaks ground. And there's something in it that it is drawn to grow toward a light, which it, it's underground. It hasn't even experienced light yet. And it, there's something in it where it's growing toward a force it has yet to see. It breaks ground, it shoots up. And finally, how does a flower reveal its beauty? By literally turning inside out is how a flower shows the beauty of its petals. And it does all of that without ever going anywhere. That is a great, startling uh, metaphor for this journey of being a spirit in a body and time on Earth. Beautiful. Absolutely. And the, the other idea with this metaphor is that everything that that flower or that tree needs is already within that seed. There's just a becoming of it, not a trying to be something. There's just a becoming. Yes. And so that's, you know, that that's the other kind of obvious profundity that I've learned over time is that, um, again, which is reinforced in all the traditions, and that is that there is no there. 
there's only here. You know, when, when, and hopefully we'll be traveling again, but you know, I've spent a lot of time before the pandemic traveling and teaching and speaking, and it's been an absolute joy. But you know, one of the paradoxes is that I would travel all, literally all over the world. Um, and whenever I would get wherever I was going, I would travel all that way to affirm for people that there's nowhere to go. <laughs> and happy to do it. And of course, on the surface, we're traveling vast distances. But when we are truly together, it's the same eternal moment that always opens. Yeah. It's the same here we arrive at, which is that oneness and that interconnectedness that uh, that you speak of. I love it. So, Mark, this hour's gone by fast, and. Um... I would have loved to ask you so many other things. I'm I'm just intrigued by your book and your writings and your life. But we have about two minutes or so. If there's anything that you haven't gotten to speak to that you really that's really on your mind and emergent in this moment, is there anything you want to share with our friends out there listening? Yes, I would just encourage everyone um, to start where they are, and and you know. All of the things we talk about are opened by by the, the step of wherever you are, give your full heart's attention to whatever is before you until it starts to be your teacher and starts to speak to you. Then you don't have to go travel or go anywhere. You can do it right at your window. And so the last thing I would share is a one, one stanza poem of mine. Um, that's been with me a lot during the pandemic. And it, it goes like this. The mystery is that whoever shows up when we dare to give has exactly what we need hidden in their trouble. Pause. Let that sink in and soak in such goodness there. Mark, it's been a delight to have you back on again. Uh, I know all of our listeners and friends out there think so too. So thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're so welcome. It's a joy to be with you again. And for you, dear friends, if you want to find Mark, again, go to marknepo.com, M-A-R-K-N-E-P-O, and stay connected with me at juliecrawlemail.com, and you'll learn about all the offerings that are coming up. And dear friends, I want to leave you with the words of Mark Nepo. We are constantly being shaped by life into finer instruments of care and expression. The deeper we go, the more attuned we become, and the more we join with everything around us. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.